You're listening to the Restless Wanderer podcast by Paul Coulter, and this is part 42 of a series in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Ending our reading at the close of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28, verse 20. Now, this is only quite a short reading for this final episode in the series in Matthew's Gospel. And even as we begin that, we read of the 11 disciples. That ought to remind us of what has immediately come before this. We saw the betrayal of Jesus by the 12th disciple, Judas, who tragically regretted what he did but didn't repent and so was lost, uh, took his own life and died unrepentant. Uh, and we have we saw the, the death of Jesus, his crucifixion, the betrayal, of course, was not only uh, Judas. Judas might have been the betrayer, but the chief priests were the ones who pursued Jesus falsely, unfairly because of their prejudice. Pilate was implicit and Peter, of course, uh, didn't speak up for Jesus when the pressure was on. Now, we do know that Peter was uh, restored by Jesus. We know that Jesus met with the disciples in the upper room in the city of Jerusalem after he had already appeared to the women. We know that Peter was restored by Jesus beside the Sea of Galilee. We read about that at the end of John's Gospel. But here, Matthew gives us just one post-resurrection episode of Jesus meeting with his disciples. We know there were many over the course of 40 days. We read that at the beginning of the book of Acts. Uh, and as I said, we have some of those recorded for us in the Gospels. But the one that we have here from Matthew is, of course, very famous and often known as the Great Commission. That's the title. It's been given in both of the Bible versions that I have open in front of me, the ESV that I read from and the NIV. It's become known uh, as the Great Commission and uh, referred to in countless sermons and books about global missions as the basis for which we should go in Jesus' authority uh, to the nations. And that certainly is a valid application of this passage. But although the passage is short, it really is full of significance. So let's take some time just to, to look at it. And it comes at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Throughout this Gospel, we've seen several hints that Jesus' mission is going to go beyond the people of Israel to whom he sent his disciples back in Matthew 10 to the nations. We have uh, had various indications of that. Most powerfully, of course, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, Jesus said that the gospel of the kingdom would be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That's in the context of Jesus speaking about uh, the end times. But here in Matthew 28, uh, it becomes very clear that this disciple-making mission 
of Jesus' first disciples is to all nations, that people from all nations will become disciples of the Lord Jesus. Now, the 11 disciples go to Galilee. There is a mountain there where Jesus had directed them to meet him after his resurrection. And when they see him, they worship him, but some doubted. That's very significant in verse 17, isn't it? Now, we have, of course, in John's gospel, the account of Thomas, who is sometimes, I think, a little bit unfairly described as doubting Thomas. In fact, when Thomas did see Jesus, he made one of the most powerful and clear statements of the deity of Jesus in the whole of Scripture. He said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus commended him. Uh, so, yes, Thomas did doubt the words of the uh, other disciples before he himself saw Jesus. But when he saw Jesus, he believed in him and made a wonderful statement of faith. But here we're told that some doubted. In other words, it's not only Thomas who had his doubts. Now, that might seem strange to us. Here are the disciples after the resurrection faced with Jesus, but it must have been quite remarkable for them what they were experiencing, what they were coming to believe about resurrection that was something they hoped in in the future, at the end of the age, had already happened for Jesus within the age in this time, that the Jesus who they had loved, who had been crucified, was with them. And also their realisation of who this Jesus was and what these things meant. They had, of course, recognised him as the Messiah. Uh, Peter had confessed him as the Christ, the Son of the living God, back in uh, earlier on in Matthew chapter 16. But now uh, they're beginning to understand that this Jesus is so much more than that. But it's quite reassuring for us, isn't it, that you can believe and even worship the Lord Jesus and have doubts at the same time. And the fact that they worship Jesus, and I made this point about the women up in verse 9, when the women saw the risen Jesus, they worshipped him and Jesus accepted their worship. When Thomas declared Jesus to be his Lord and his God, Jesus didn't rebuke or correct him. He accepted that uh, he was indeed God. And here we see the disciples worshipping Jesus. That's quite important because from the earliest times, Christians have worshipped Jesus as God from the resurrection onwards. Uh, the, there was no other conclusion that they could draw from the things that Jesus had taught, the things that he did, which showed divine authority, and from his resurrection, which proved him to be the Son of God. So they worship him. And then Jesus speaks. And he says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And back in chapter 24, we saw that Jesus said that uh, there would be no doubt about his return in glory, that uh, he would come on the clouds as judge. That's an echo of Daniel chapter 7, where we read about the Son of Man who comes into the presence of the Ancient of Days. And in Daniel 7 verse 14, it says that to the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Here is Jesus, not returning in glory on the clouds as uh, he said he would in, in Matthew 24, as he foretold. And by the way, as he said again in Matthew uh, chapter, uh, later on in Matthew, is it chapter 27, I think, uh, when he was on trial before the 
uh, priests, maybe 26. But anyway, there again, he said that they would see the Son of Man appear in, on the clouds in glory and seated at the right hand of the Father. But Jesus has not yet returned in glory, but he is telling his disciples that he has already received the dominion that Matthew, or rather Daniel chapter 7, spoke about. Jesus is ruling. He is the king, the kingdom that he had talked about in his parables in Matthew, the kingdom of God that he had preached, that he said would be preached in all nations. Who is its king? He is. All authority has been given to him. He has lived his sinless, perfect life of servanthood and submission to God the Father. He has finished the work he was given to do. He died on the cross in our place. He cried out, it is finished. He rose again from the grave and now he has received authority to rule. Not just some authority, but all authority. Now there's also a contrast here between Matthew 28 and Matthew 10 because in Matthew chapter 10 when Jesus sends the uh, disciples out to the Israelites he gives them authority to cast out demons in his name and also to heal diseases you can read that in Matthew 10 verse 1 but here there is no mention of Jesus delegating authority to the disciples. Sometimes people talk about Christians having authority. But actually here in the Great Commission, Jesus says all authority is his and he does not delegate it to anyone else. So there is no, in that sense, Christians do not have authority, but Jesus retains authority. But the key thing is that Jesus is with us, as we'll see uh, in verse 20. So authority belongs to Jesus, all authority in heaven and earth. He is reigning supreme over all creation. And go, therefore, he says in verse 19, therefore we must go. Now, you may well have heard it said, and it is true, that go is not the imperative verb here. Make is the imperative verb. The task is to make disciples. That is the command. But it's obvious that these 11 disciples have to go in order to do that. They're on top of a mountain with Jesus. They're not going to find many people to make disciples from on top of a mountain in Galilee. They're going to have to spread out from that place. So although going might not be the imperative verb, the, the thing that we're told to do is make disciples, we have to go in order to do it. Someone has suggested translating this as, as you go, make disciples. But I think it's slightly stronger than that. As I've said, the 11 have to go. And it is right that God's people in every age ask, where are the people who are not disciples of Jesus? The people who have not heard the gospel of the kingdom, as Jesus calls it in Matthew 24. And we're right, by the way, to relate the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom that in 24, Jesus says, must happen to all nations, to this commission to make disciples of all nations. How do people become disciples? Well, they have to hear the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the, the news that Jesus has come, that he taught the kingdom of God and that he has been revealed to be the king through his death and resurrection, that his death has accomplished forgiveness for sins. His resurrection gives us the promise and the offer of eternal life. So we go and make disciples of people from all nations or all of the peoples of the earth. 
This, by the way, is a fulfilment of the promise that God had made to Abraham way back in Genesis, in uh, when God called Abraham in uh, Genesis chapter 12. Uh, Jesus, or God says to, to Abraham rather, that all nations will be blessed through him. All the families of the earth elsewhere, it says, will be blessed through him. And that is being fulfilled here. The blessing that God had promised through Abraham and through the descendant of Abraham is now coming to the nations through Jesus. Now, there's a sense in which the nations had already been blessed through Israel, through their encounters with the nations through people who had become God-fearers, at least by the time of Jesus. We read about that in the, the uh, book of Acts, uh, the people who had come to Jerusalem to worship God. Uh, I think we might say that the nations have been blessed through the gifts that God has given to the Jewish people as well and the contribution they have made. But the supreme blessing that would come through Abraham and through his descendants is through one man, one Jew, Jesus the perfect servant of God who would bring salvation for people of all nations. So this is fulfilling God's promise to Abraham. Go make disciples of all nations. Now notice, I've said already that we have to preach the gospel in order for people to become disciples of Jesus. But making disciples is about much more than simply seeing people trust in Jesus so that they can go to heaven when they die. A disciple is someone who lives with Jesus and for Jesus. And the 11 would have understood that. They had been Jesus' disciples. They knew what it was to live with Jesus, to listen to Jesus, to walk with him. They knew that Jesus had told them that anyone who comes to him who is heavy burdened, heavy laden, Matthew 11, could find rest and must walk with him yoked to him and learn from him. Discipleship is about learning. It is about walking with the master and learning from the master. And that's exactly what the disciples are to do. How do you make a disciple? Well, you do two things. You, first of all, baptise them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then you teach them. That's the two verbs that Jesus uses. Make disciples, baptising them, teaching them. So we make disciples, first of all, by, by, by baptising people in the triune name. That's significant because that implies that we have preached the gospel, that they have believed the gospel, and they are now responding to that in baptism. That's certainly what happens in the book of Acts. Uh, you may come from a church tradition where infants are baptised, but those are the infants of believing parents. So somewhere along the line, there was the first convert in that family who believed and was baptised. I come from a church tradition where we baptise only believers and I believe that to be the biblical pattern uh, but that's uh, I'm not going to try and make that case here and that's not the point here. The point is that uh, baptism is about identification with God as belonging to him. So the person who is a convert who then is baptised in response to their faith in Jesus is declaring their identity is now found in Jesus. But notice that it's baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son of the, and of the Holy Spirit. This is a truly remarkable statement from Jesus. 
Jesus is telling us about the Trinity, what we call the Trinity. That's not a word that appears in the Bible. But the fact that Jesus calls God his father and refers to himself as the son in terms that describe him as God. And then he refers to the Holy Spirit in terms that make it clear that he is God. Uh, but it's really here in this verse that Jesus draws those truths together and clearly states this triune formula, Father, Son and Spirit, that of course is central to Christian belief. It's a truth, a reality that three persons are one, one God in three persons. Uh, it's a truth that we could not see if it were not for Jesus, only through Jesus can we grasp this truth of the Trinity. But baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit is about identification with God, in relationship with God. We are included, if you like, in the community of the Trinity, of the Godhead. Three persons loving each other eternally and we come to be included with them. But we're also included in the community of all disciples of Jesus the church. And remember, Matthew's gospel is the gospel where Jesus has talked about the church. When Peter confesses him as uh, Lord or as the Messiah in Matthew 16, Jesus says, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. And then in Matthew 18, we see Jesus referring to the church and he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am with them in their midst. Now, here we're seeing the, the basis of inclusion in the church. People are included in the church through baptism. So baptism is about identification with God as belonging to him and with the people of God as being a disciple committed to learning amongst God's people. So although the church is not named here at the end of Matthew, this ties together the things that Jesus said about the church. The church is built on the rock of the confession of faith in Jesus. It is grounded on the disciples, the apostles, the first disciples appointed by Jesus, their confession of faith in Jesus. And the church is united by the presence of Jesus in our midst. And we see that, of course, in verse 20, I am with you to the end of the age. That's the uh, promise of the fulfilment of what Jesus said in Matthew 18 about the church, that he is present in our midst. So baptising is about inclusion in the community of God in relationship with him through faith in Jesus and about inclusion amongst God's people, along with our fellow disciples, the church that Jesus is building but it's not enough that we are baptized that's about initiation as a christian the beginning of the journey we need to be taught taught what well not just taught facts it says teaching them jesus doesn't say teaching them all that i have commanded you he says teaching them to observe or to obey everything i have commanded you in other words, growing as a disciple is not simply about growing in knowledge, but growing in obedience, walking with Jesus, step by step, obeying what he has taught. But how do we do that? We need to know what Jesus has taught. And how do we know what Jesus has taught? We know it through the apostles who he first taught it to, who made sure that it was written down, recorded in the Gospels for us and who wrote the letters that explain the significance of Jesus' teaching and the other things that the Holy Spirit taught them 
after he came. So you see here this continuity with the disciples, with the apostles. There can be no church except by continuation with them. We are included in Jesus through their message, through their teaching. But they are teaching not simply what Jesus uh, taught, not simply telling us here's what Jesus taught and you should obey it, but showing us how to obey it. Jesus says teaching them to obey. Well, how do you teach someone to obey? You don't simply do it by telling them what they need to do. You set an example to them of how to do it. So relationship is implicit here. And the principle that is true throughout Christian leadership, that we don't simply teach with words, but by example, is here too. We make disciples by baptising, including people in relationship with God through faith in Jesus and in the church that Jesus founded, and teaching them to obey, showing them how to do it, teaching them the word of Jesus. Implicit in this too, of course, is scripture grounded on the authority of Jesus. How do we know Jesus? We who have not seen him, we know him through the teachings and the message of the apostles who did see him. And those are found in the New Testament, in the scriptures. So we need to be Bible people. The authority of Jesus over our lives is through the authority of his word. And then the beautiful promise, I am with you always to the end of the age. You notice there are two, there's the command to make disciples, which involves baptising and teaching. It's surrounded by the authority of Jesus and the presence of Jesus. And the presence of Jesus, although it doesn't say it here, we understand that that is not going to be his presence living in a body with them to the end of the age. Jesus left the disciples. He ascended to heaven. Acts 1 tells us about that. But Jesus promised that he would send another helper like him, the Holy Spirit, John 14 and John 16. Um, uh, John, John 14, 2, 16. Um, and here Jesus says, I am with you to the end of the age. We know from the book of Acts that the presence that Jesus sent was the Holy Spirit who came to empower his people to be witnesses for him. So Jesus is with us by his spirit. We do not carry on his mission, his work of making disciples in our own strength or power, as if we had any strength or power that was not given to us by God. But it's not simply a human effort. It is a divine effort. It's the spirit of God who draws people to Jesus, who gives them new life through faith in Jesus, who transforms them into the likeness of Jesus. He does that through people who teach and set an example. But it is his work of making disciples. And so we are confident in Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit to change lives as we go to all nations to make disciples. That's the end of Matthew's Gospel. And it's very clearly a challenge to us, isn't it? We've read about Jesus. We've read who he is. We've read what he taught about the kingdom of God. We've seen those beautiful words about the poor in spirit who possess the kingdom and so on. 
What are we going to do in response? Will we rise up and follow him as disciples, baptised in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, together in community, making disciples from others? Will we go in his authority and with his presence? Will we trust in him and give our lives to his service? Will we continue in that mission of making disciples, loving others in his name and sharing with them the gospel of the kingdom and helping them as they come to faith in him in our community of believers, your church community, to grow in obedience to him? That's what life is about. That's what Jesus has said it's about. Wherever he calls us to serve him, in whatever role, in whatever work, we will do it for his glory. We will obey his commands as we serve and we will share the news with others. I trust that that will be your life's goal, your life's mission. It is the great mission that Jesus gave to the church in his great commission. Go and make disciples. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's go in his power, in his name, in his authority, with his presence. Amen.